BeastNet podcast, sponsored in part by James Safety Services, OCR Buddy, and supported by the fitness community. Here we discuss all things fitness-related, running, rucking, mental health and preparedness, and of course, obstacle course racing. Welcome to the BeastNet. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Lisa from BeastNet Podcast, and we're talking to Lisa. And tell us a little bit about yourself here real quick. So I am 45 years old. I've been obstacle course racing for approximately five years, just over five years now. Um, and I am a full-time gymnastics coach. I actually coach at two different locations. So I live in Mississippi, but I coach in Alabama, and I also coach in Wisconsin. So my primary job is in Wisconsin. So a lot of people don't realize that I have to commute to work a thousand miles. Oh my goodness. (laughs) That is quite the commute. Um, you did, you just did the Celtic warrior challenge this last weekend and I did. you got first place for elite. Am I correct? I did. I got first place for the females. The guys were pretty fast. (laughs) (laughs) How, how was the race? The race was a lot of fun. Like, um, I even think I posted on my Facebook that this will be my last OCR of the season. Um, and it was a great one to end on. Um, primarily because I'm not a runner. I'm more of an obstacle person. Um, but the, if you put me on technical trail, I love to run. So it was one of the first races that we've done. It may be the only race we've really done. I think at Frontline was pretty technical trail. But this one was, um, like, I loved the single track technical, just go out and run in the woods. It was the best race to end my season on, I think, for me, because it just felt so good to run. That's fantastic to hear. Uh, so many people haven't been able to actually race at all this year. So how did it feel to not only end your season on such a high note, but to be able to race this year with everything that's been going on? We have been so fortunate because I think we've gotten 10 OPRs in this year. That's so awesome. <laughs> now we make the jokes that we've driven all over the country um, because we've <laughs> driven to every single race. So I have not flown to any races. So um, some of the drives were extensive. Um, we did, I think Little Rock was a 10 hour one way drive, um, things like that. And we actually built a camper during COVID. <laughs> so we call that behind us. And that's what we stay in and camp. And um, but it's been like, we're very blessed that we could, um, that we could race as much as we did this year. Um, it was a great season. The courses were great. Everybody did a wonderful job dealing with COVID and, you know, making you feel comfortable and, um, and still being able to race. That is so fantastic to hear. I know that the original date for Celtic Warrior got pushed back to November. Were you intending to run in October when it was supposed to happen? No. We oh, actually wow. had another event. So oh. it was pretty, um, it, for us, it worked out perfectly because we weren't going to be able to race at all. We weren't going to be able to do it at all because it uh, coincided with, I think, one of our conference offers. So, um, so it moved. And I have limited weekends. Like if I, I work two weeks a month. So I'm in Wisconsin two weeks and then I'm home two weeks. So it just literally worked out perfectly that we were capable of racing. So I think we signed up on the Tuesday before the race. <laughs> we, found out we could actually do it. So yeah. um, I think we were last minute signups. 
So that is pretty cool. That is so awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there a favorite part of the race for you, obstacle wise, or was it just more because of the technical trail? Um, the let's see, there's a couple obstacles that threw us for a loop. It's really cool going into a race, and um, when you guys put out like Savage does it, a lot of races their obstacle names will be very misleading. So <laughs> when we heard nunchucks. Clearly, we completely assumed that was a rig with nunchucks on it. Um, little did we know it was going to be a pegboard with nunchucks. Oh. <laughs> so, so that was a little bit of um, a, a surprise. Um, we have like a full-fledged rig in our backyard, a couple actually. And so one of the things that I enjoy most more than life is pegboard. But I do it monkey bar style primarily. So it was a little bit like, oh, uh oh. <laughs> a strict pegboard. So, but that obstacle was actually a lot of fun because you had to decode it. You know, like I, it actually took me two tries. I came off the first try because my peg wouldn't reach the hole because it was numb to the other peg. So you had to make very, very small moves. So um, it's for me being an obstacle person, it's fun when you have to decode an obstacle. When you kind of have to figure it out, and even if that means it's going to take you two tries, or while you're on it, you'll have to figure it out. So to me, that's that's keeping it like innovative. It's keeping it new, and it's making you think. So um, the nunchuck one was a really fun one. Um, the other one was the ball throw. Um, so it was the medicine ball that you had to throw over the wall. And um, I got there, and I was completely by myself in the woods. And the first, I just chucked it and tried to throw it over and I couldn't figure it out. And so I hit the wall and then I was like, wait, if I try it backwards. So that was another one where you have to kind of like step back and think, like, how do I do this? Because the way that I would think I would do it isn't going to work. So, um, so those were pretty fun. I mean, there was a lot of really um, creative obstacles that were out in those woods. That is awesome that, you know, when you have a, you come across an obstacle that you actually have to contemplate and figure out before you start to do it. You're like, oh, oh, I don't, I don't get it. And then you have that light bulb moment. You're like, oh, I get it. I love having those new obstacles that kind of just bend your mind for a moment. And then you're like, okay, I can do this. I got this now. I even told a volunteer in the woods with some med balls, like, now you can't tell anybody else how I did this because otherwise they're going to have to figure it out for themselves. Um, You know, (laughs) so that was cool. And then like the rope climb, the fact that you literally had to like plant yourself in a mud crawl right before the rope climb, you know? And so um, that was, you know, cause I didn't know a rope climb was coming up. So I'm just climbing through the mud and I'm like, Oh, I got to climb a rope now. <laughs> full of mud. <laughs> That's what you so, like looking at your pretty cool too. Kind of look at your hands and go, Oh, if I could do five seconds ago over again, I probably <laughs> would not have just shoved my hands in the mud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you like the BeastNet? Do you want to keep hearing it? Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more at BeastNetPod. Um, and I saw that you have come back from a pretty extensive injury that happened a couple of years ago. What happened there and how's that recovery gone for you? Yeah, so two years ago, almost to the day, I um, was at a ninja comp and I ended up hyperextending my elbow and it tore the distal bicep. Um, the tendon completely off. And so 
I, you know, went to the hospital, did things like that. Um, when we went to the emergency room, the doctor in the emergency room told me, oh, that looks perfectly fine to me. <laughs> so we were like, what? But um, when I ended up going to have surgery for it, they could not do the repair. Um, and so at that point, I always make the joke that you never want to give somebody coming out of anesthesia bad news because it doesn't go over very well. Um, but my surgeon told me that I was going to have to retire. Um, he said, you know, you're 40, you're at that point, I was 44. He's like, you're going to be, um, 40, you know, five at some point. And it just, you know, you can do them for fun, but you're never going to really be competitive again. Um, you're probably never going to be competitive in Ninja. And the hardest part for me is, um, we're pretty avid rock climbers. Actually, that's where we're going for Thanksgiving. So, um, to learn that that was also going to be impacted. So it wasn't even like sometimes you can handle, okay, it's a sport and that doesn't define me. But when it starts becoming, it's going to impact my life, um, my coaching, my spotting, everything. It, it was very difficult. Um, but I had this amazing PT and he said, you know what? You've got freaky muscles in different places because of all the cross training that I've done in my life. Um, he's like, I think we can get you through this without a bicep. Um, and so I was like, what, what, who does that? You know, like the hashtag bicep limb races, you know? Yeah. And so, um, in the mix of PTs to see if I could come back without a bicep, um, my shoulders rose. And that's when I discovered the torn rotator. Um, and so I couldn't lift, and you can see me, but I couldn't lift my arm above this for almost six or seven months. Oh. With my hair, I kind of looked like this. Um, I had other people helping me, things like that. And so it's been, my shoulder's been on throat for a year now. Um, and so I've been back to full training. And this was my first season back competing um, since the injury. And um, I've been very blessed. Um, it doesn't seem like missing a bicep is really impeding me at all. Um, and the rotator cuff, because I had to sit so long with the frozen shoulder, the rotator cuff is actually doing very well as well. So. Oh. That's awesome. Yeah. I saw it when I read that little bit about you and you said frozen shoulder. I was like, oh, I work for a chiropractor and we have people oh. that come in with frozen shoulder and I'm just like instantaneously. I'm just like, oh, oh, because yeah. I, you know, I do. I see them come in. They can't lift their arm very far. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, I feel for you. I feel and for it is, you. <laughs> like I tell everybody, it's the scariest thing to have happen because it just, it just doesn't go. I mean, it's like the complete loss of mobility and like, I was not prepared for that. Like you couldn't, I couldn't hang from anything for seven months because my arm wouldn't hang straight. So, um, and I'm a monkey. So that taking that part of my life away was a little bit difficult, but again, you just learn different things to do, you know? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go for a trail run for therapy because a lot of times our therapy is our training. Yes. Totally agree with you on that. How did that affect you mentally? Like for some people having catastrophic, you know, injuries that could possibly take them out of racing, that's hard of an as it is. But as you put it, like this was, it pertained to your entire life. Like how did you pull through that mentally? Did you have a good support system? Like I do. How was that? Fabulous, fabulous support system. Um, I am very blessed with that. Um, I think most people know that Doug, who is a fellow racer and I are dating, we've been dating for several years. So he was with me through thick and thin of all of it. Um, 
And I don't know that I would have come back without his support. In fact, when I was coming back and going to do a Conquer the Gauntlet and I moved into Mississippi, my housewarming gift is a stairway, um, is double steps in our backyard. So he built those knowing that that was something I was super scared of. Um, and so I think it's having somebody that like he never allowed me to fail. Like he never allowed me to say, I can't do this because I just can't do this. He always um, pushed me to be better. Like you can do more, you know, um, when we go rock climbing, he's the first to challenge me to get back on and lead a route. And I am scared to death to do it. So having somebody believe in you more than you believe in yourself has been absolutely amazing. But it doesn't mean that I don't battle um, constantly. I always have insecurities. Um, and so that's something that I'm going to actually be focused on in the off season and probably through 2021 is gaining some of that confidence back. And realizing that even though you're broken, you're not done, you know, and yeah. you can do things and you can continue to get stronger and, and starting to trust um, the training that I've been doing a little bit more. That's awesome. And, you know, you're like me and a lot of other racers that I know we're in our, you know, late thirties, early forties, even in our mid forties. And you gotta, we gotta start thinking like, Oh, how long can I keep doing this? And yeah, I see people who are in their sixties and seventies still racing. So it's like, okay, how do you, you got to manage your body and how you train so that you can still be racing when you hit, you know, those ages of like 70 and 80. Is that what you are hoping to do is to still be as active as you are now when you're there? And did you have that moment of like, Oh, oh am I done? Am I totally done? Yeah, I, um, I definitely see myself still racing. I'll be the next Heidi Williams. <laughs> <That'll be okay. laughs> She'll be 90 and still racing. <laughs> and I'll just try and keep up. But, um, but I do. And it's, it's such a, like, I'm such a competitive person that it's a great outlet. Um, and so what racing will look like when I'm 60 may be very different than it looks like now. I mean, racing when I was 40 looks very different than now at 45. Um, but there's, there's the goods and the bads from it. Like now I'm mentally, um, I hate to use the word smarter, but I'm, I am smarter when I race, um, in comparison when I was 40 and just starting out and didn't know much. And, you know, so now there's more strategy behind my racing. Um, and there's more thought process, um, <laughs> instead of just going out mad. <laughs> um, and so I think that in 10 years, you know, what's my expectations of myself are going to be a little bit better, um, a little bit different than what they are now. So, but I still fully believe that I'll still be out there racing at 55, 60, like, um, and I do believe that training as you get older does change a lot. You do have to be a little bit more aware of how you're training. Um, but we use so much cross training that I think that, and it's lifestyle for us, you know, like I said, we're going for Thanksgiving to go rock climb for the week, you know? So it is part of our lifestyle. So it's our bodies are just very used to being that active. Does your business need first aid, AED, OSHA, flagging, or other safety training? James Safety Services is your one-stop shop. Find them on Facebook today at James Safety Services WA and ask for a quote on hosting your training needs. How long have you been rock climbing? Um, I've been climbing for about the same amount of time that I've been doing OCR. So when I was 39, I made a promise to myself that I was going to be in the best shape of my life by 40. So um, so that has been a goal. So I started doing um, MMA kickboxing. Um, and then I started climbing to build grip because then I got into OCR. And then I started doing ninja. 
um, started running. I never, before 39, my longest run had been a, I think I ran a 5K when I was 38. So um, my first long run to date, um, when I first started racing, um, I had done, I had, yeah, I had done one 10K and that was it. So I am definitely a newbie. So I tell people I've only been running for five years. Um, so that is definitely something that I constantly am trying to work on because like I talk to a lot of people, I'm like, why can you run so fast? And then they're like, well, I've been running since I was three. (laughs) (laughs) I was a gymnast and a diver. I wasn't a runner. (laughs) So um, so yeah, so it's different, Um, but it's good. You know, like we bike, we kayak, we canoe, like we kind of just like go out and be outside be active and be outside Mm -hmm. that's awesome uh with your gymnastics like with that being like your background has it really helped you with some of the more difficult obstacles I Mm -hmm. guess I would say for some people um you know you guys have to deal with like the uneven bars and having the balance and all of that has it really been a huge factor for you in your races absolutely like I say gymnastics it taught um, two different things. Um, one, it teaches a lot of mental strength because it is definitely a mental sport. Um, so I, you had to learn that as a young age and the commitment factor of going through a workout and knowing that it sucks. Um, already knowing what to do when your hands rip to shreds. Um, and I'm primarily a bar coach. So it makes it a little bit more. So for me to be able to um, decode an obstacle, Actually, I think I do it pretty quick in comparison, um, just because I've got the understanding of the biomechanics behind a lot of body motion. And then my body awareness, thanks to gymnastics, is actually a little bit greater than most. So that's where I gain a huge advantage, I think. You know, I may not be a runner, but (laughs) I do bring the grip strength and all that that came natural. And, you know, I tell everybody, like, pull-ups for me have always been. So people say like, how do you get that? And I'm like, I just have always had it because I did it when I was little, you know, rope climbs without legs, things like that. That's always been part of my regime. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, What are your plans for the upcoming race season? Like, do you have any particular race goals for races to complete or just competitive goals? What are, what's that looking like for you with the tentative 2021 season, depending Um, on how things go? (laughs) You know what? We are so up in the air still because I know that um, although it would be great to just turn a page and New Year starts and COVID goes away, I I don't see that happening. (laughs) We we, um, actually haven't even sat down to write a schedule. I know that there's certain races that, we wanted to hit this year that we did not get to hit because they just got canceled. Um, and then I think both Doug and I learned that we really enjoy the small little, like, you know, like the local races. And yes. they've been absolutely great. So I think trying to find more of those and figure out, like, because you just can't duplicate that. You know, no. like, it, they're just so much fun. Celtic War, it, that was just so much fun. And, yes. um, and so I think like sticking to that genre of, you know what, let's just see how many little races can we hit this year, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. um, but honestly, we have not sat down and done a schedule. I know that both Doug and I tend to shift over to ninja comp. Um, so we, um, I think my next ninja comp is actually in a couple of weeks. So I start ninja comp in the middle of December. And then because my kids are competing, um, like it's hit or miss all the yeah. way until March. 
Yeah. Um, um, maybe even May this year. So we'll yeah. see. So, you know, that's the one thing that we like at, at BeastNet, we've been trying to really push and support is the race local, the smaller races. Um, we had one here that I was able to get to. It was like a two mile little co- course. It had so many mud pits. Like I was in heaven. I love the mud. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> but to be able to get back down to like the basics and the beginnings of OCR. It was amazing. And it was, I felt like I connected with my two teammates that I went with more than I do on the bigger races. Right. And that's kind of my thing for next year as well as I want to get more in more active with the smaller races, whether they're here, like in Washington or even like in Mississippi or, you know, the whole like Southeast or wherever they be like, those are the beginnings of OCR. Those are the companies that help build up the bigger companies because people get off the couch. And I think you find surprise obstacles when you go to the smaller ones. You're like, what's this? Because this is not, this is not the normal. This is not the nunchuck we were thinking it was going to be. Exactly. I didn't think I was doing a pegboard with shackled pegs. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, and it's fun. You know, it's just fun. And I feel like um, what part of what I want to get back to a little bit is the um the camaraderie on the course yes um, that like that aspect i did um for the first time i've done two ultra race like um endurance races um i've done continuum which is ctg conquer the gauntlet version of um endurance and then i did um frontline ocr which is out of chicago i did their endurance and the best part, because like, clearly I just said I don't run miles. The yeah. best part about it was being back out on the course and just interacting with people. Um, and so, like, I miss that component. And I feel like in smaller races, you get more opportunity to do that, um, which is really, really cool. I completely agree with you. I did. It's been two years now because of COVID. But I did um, the Sisu uh it was a PNW 24, mm-hmm. 24 hours trail races. It was like a choose your own adventure. I haven't had that much fun running and being on trails that I did doing that, that endurance. It was 24 hours. I was helping like with the coffee and the food and going out and running, but they had little challenges for you to do as you went out on the different trails. And it really was like a choose your own adventure. And I was like, oh, that's so much fun. And I wanted, I want to do more of that because it's like you said, it's the camaraderie it's being out there and like you cheer people on and like, Hey, how's it going? How did that trail go? Like being able to talk to people about that and just the fun and you, I volunteered at a race locally and I just got to sit there at an obstacle and cheer people on as they went through and seeing them laugh and yeah, you know, interact with them as they do that. It's one of the best parts of OCR, in my opinion, is that mm. the funness well, that comes out. I think it's where I find my motivation, you know, because it's one thing for elite athletes to go out on a course and, you know, just go fast and do everything quickly. And it's another thing to be out there and witness people, one, overcoming fears, you know, because we take for granted somebody that has a fear of height or somebody that has those other fears. And it's so motivational for me to watch people challenge themselves and overcome that, that, you know, because everyone says, well, the elites are the most, no, like I get inspired by every single person out on the court. And I know that sounds so cheesy, but that's, that's the truth. Like watching a person 
get over a wall that traditionally couldn't or, you know, things like that. That to me is I will stop my race and completely and help cheer a person on. Like it's just who I am, what I believe in. So to me, that is more important than anything else, than any winning of any race. Yeah. I think that is, um, it's one of the other things about OCR that I love too, is like, you see people struggling and, you know, it's people that stop and cheer those people on. It's the people that like, Hey, give me your hand. We'll get you like, we'll get you over this. Um, I had a friend help me over an A-frame in Montana. Cause we're on top of a mountain on top of a giant A-frame. And I'm just like, <gasps> Nope, nope. <laughs> I had a hard time with that. But my friend like helped me over it. And, you know, we made some fun out of that. I have friends that have fears of the dunk wall because they don't like going underwater and have issues like with swimming. And it's that getting people through those little fears and cheering them on. I'm like you on that. I love seeing that. I love cheering on the person that you know is out there just getting started and they're just struggling to get up the hill. And you're like, you got this, you got this. And you kind of seem like brighten up a little bit. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's why I love the multi-lab because you got to go back out, you know, and you just got to be with a bunch of people. And it was so much fun. And last year I spent most of the year videoing and, being on the course because I couldn't race. And so you kind of learn a whole new love for a different component of it. And, you know, I tell people, don't get me wrong. I still love the race. So I'm still yeah. going to race, but um, I, you know, I'm, there's just going to be a little bit different spin sometimes on it, you know? But yeah, definitely. I need some different value in it. So. Yes. Um, with your rock climbing, that obviously like the grip strength is like a huge aspect of that. And it really helps with the obstacles. Is there an, like, that's gotta be so intense to be able to go up there. You're climbing a rock and you know, you're having to figure out your route. And is there any fears there for you? Was that like a huge fear to overcome or was that like, I just want to try it. Fear for me. Um, And it's, it's just the fear of falling. Um, I have that same fear on obstacles. So I tell everybody, why am I so good on obstacles? Because I'm terrified to fall, like terrified, especially if we're over water. And I don't know how deep the water is because it's gloomy. I will cling like a cat to stay out of the water. (laughs) So it's the same thing when we're rock climbing. Um, There's the adrenaline kick though, you know? And, And then when you get to the top and you look out and you get to see this view and it's just so worth it, you know, and it kind yeah. of is a metaphor for life that, you know, yes, there's going to be scary times and yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, you're going to sit <laughs> hanging on a rope, cussing at a wall, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you get to the top, it makes it so worth every fight and every struggle you've had. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with the balance, learning how to trust balance and decoding things. And so it's, you know, to me, it is, um, we don't climb in a gym very often. We're primarily doing outdoor climbing. And yeah. so the big joke has always been, how do you know you and your boyfriend don't want each other dead? Go rock climbing together because, you know, oops. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, you know, clearly I tell God, clearly you trust me because there's been multiple falls. Um, <laughs> you know, or the same thing with me. And, and so you build that, but it does, it really does help with your confidence. I tell everybody there's a big difference between falling and dropping. And um, when you rock climb, you learn really fast the failure and those are the hard falls. And um, because you literally are climbing until you fail and then there's no saving it. When you see people like drop off something, they land 
pretty gently on their feet or things like that. And yeah, I'm a, I tend to be a drop person, whereas I won't go until I completely fail. And so that's been something that I've learned through rock climbing is that it's okay to go past that point of uncomfortable. Like I, I'm uncomfortable. I feel like I'm going to fall. So I'm going to let go so that I'm safe. And so um, you tend to figure out you can still go even once you're uncomfortable. That's actually, that's a really good metaphor for life. Cause a lot of people get to that point where they're like, eh, I'm a little uncomfortable and they just stop. But if they had just pushed past a little bit of being uncomfortable, the world would have just completely changed for them. If you just push past that and get out of that little box of our comfort zone that we all have, like push past yeah. it, push past it. So that's perfect, yeah. perfect example of pushing past that. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you had your injury and since you're, you coach gymnastics, how did you relate that with your coaching? Did that really help your, this, the kid, the people that you coach did that help them when they see that you kept pushing past with your injury and wanting to continue? Yeah, it's been, oh, um, I have a really strong bond with a lot of my team kids and they have had to watch me go through my struggle. Um, I always tell people that I'm an adult first when I'm in the gym. So a lot of times they don't see the struggles I'm going through, but most of them I'm public on Facebook and on Instagram. So a lot of times they, um, they get to witness it. Um, and so we don't really talk about it in the gym, but it's kind of an unwritten rule that they never complain because as soon as they complain, they know I'm going to turn around and say to them, really? <laughs> like, or they'll say, like, Lisa, I got a rip. And I'll be like, look at mine. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you know. Um, or they'll say, I'm tired today. I'm like, well, what did you do? Oh, I had to run the mile in school. Oh, right, that's good. They're like, let me guess, you ran more than one mile. I'm like, yeah, I ran like six. <laughs> like, you know, so it's always, um, like, I always have that trump card. Um, but, of course, I always tell them it's very different. I couldn't do what they do. You know, yeah. they're amazing little athletes as well. And so I think there's a level of respect between the two of us. But the um, parents, a lot of times, will say, like, we get that you understand what they're going through. And the same thing, being able to relate. Like, um, we had one of our top-tier kids um, her junior year blow out her ACL. And being able to understand what it means to have to sit and you lose that component and what it means to come back and the fear of coming back. So I think that that's made it very relatable um, yeah. as far as my coaching. Like I fully understand. And the same thing, you go to a big race and you know the anxiety and the pressure that you feel. And so being able to directly talk to them with, I know what you're going through. I understand, you know, and the same thing with, with everything that's going down with COVID and them yeah. not under, like knowing like if they're going to be able to practice tomorrow, if the city going to, you know, like we shut down and the kids had no practice for a long time. And, um, and so what does that do to them? And like, I understand what that does, you know, I, I'm going through it with, so I think it, yeah. it gives them a person that they can talk to. Which I think for the kids, especially the ones who are like student athletes and that's been their entire life. It has been school and sports, school and sports. And to not have, not have school for one, because at least up here, we don't have school going on. It's all online. And then there's sports. There's no sports. And to have somebody that they can turn to, to talk to, to say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. I think it's so needed for the students and the athletes to have that because, you know, there's, 
there's a lot of people who can't relate. Like you don't have school, you don't have sports. Oh, wow. But for them, it's their entire life. And now it's like, they almost don't know what to do with themselves. And so it's hard. And we're like, we're down on a closure again in Wisconsin. I coach in Madison and Madison has definitely been, well, Wisconsin right now is getting hit really, really hard. Um, And so technically our, um, our city has closed again. Um, But it's like the, the, it's written kind of crazy. So basically it's just kids in sports are down. You can still go to a bar, but your kids can't partake in any sport that's team oriented. Um, so we've worked through the, um, the order and things like that. So we're getting our kids back into the gym, our team kids only. We can't bring the rest of the gym back. Um, yeah starting after Thanksgiving, but it's been very hard to watch them have to lose that, you know, I think that's been the hardest part about COVID. I always joke that for Doug and I, COVID is easy because we live in the middle of rural Mississippi on a bayou and we run on an uninhabited island. I mean, that's our life. So um, we train in our backyard. So for us, when they shut the the world down, we're locked at home training all the time, you know, whereas for most people, it meant they lost their gym, they lost, you know, a lot of stuff. So um, I got to witness the loss through the eyes of the kids I coach. And yeah, I think that it's been devastating for them. Um, what I talk to the kids about more is be thankful for what you have. Be thankful that you don't have a family member fighting for their life in the hospital. Be gracious, um, yeah. things like that. And this is going to pass. It's just going to feel like it's taking forever to pass. Yes, it it does feel like that. I have a teenager who is she was going into her first year of softball in high school and was so excited. They took their team pictures and literally the next day school got shut down and she's just like, what, what, what? They were getting ready to start the fall practices and everything got shut back down again. So it's just like, you know, you look in their eyes, and you're like, you know, just be grateful that we're all still healthy and everything's still good. And you can just see it in the back of their head. Yeah. Like, seriously yeah seriously it was like it's like yes like really I know it's hard to look at but um I do my heart goes out to the student athletes and the ones that you know they're just trying to like get through their day and you know trying to remind them to be thankful for things but still kind of keep that empathy for them on the other side and I've seen it a lot even in like the OCR world with people with their training and stuff like like you said you know you you have it in your backyard you can go out and have a place to run but there's some people that the gym is what they had and trying to compensate and change their routine to continue to train you know people are struggling with that they're struggling with not having that outlet of racing and it's it's really hard like the first few months oh we got this we got this but you can just kind of see the people just go yep yeah exactly you know and I always say like I was blessed that I moved down here when I did because if I was stuck in Wisconsin I would have to be at a gym as well and I can go to a gym and work out but I don't do well. I have to be motivated by a group, which is horrible, but I do like my backyard. I will work out, but in a gym for some reason, when you talk to me about lifting weights, I have to enjoy who I work out with. Otherwise I'm not going to do it. You know? So that's where I said, like it, I could fully, I fully feel what people are saying. Like I just can't get that motivation. Yeah. Um, and so it's very hard. Like I tell people, I'm, I 
we know how fortunate we are in this. House. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who is, she's my accountability person uh, for the last couple months, every morning during the week, she messaged me cause she's on the East coast. Good morning. Awesome. Time to wake up. So I know at that point I have to get my butt out of bed and I have to go work out for you know, awesome. 30 minutes to an hour. And some things happened this last week. Um, I wasn't feeling very good. She had some other things happen. And I was just like, well, where's my morning text? And like, uh, you're supposed to be resting. You're not feeling good. But I'm like, I still like, I missed that you morning. Text me. Everybody yeah. drink my coffee. <laughs> exactly. And um, we got back on schedule this morning and I was so excited to have that text. Like I got up, I was up before that I ever got that and I was already working out, but just to have that, it was like, yes, but <laughs> that's, that's what's motivated me mm-hmm. to get back into my training and back to a normal life. And I guess, you know, that's the thing I hope people understand is like, if you're having struggles, reach out to somebody and has, tell somebody, look, I need you to hold my butt accountable. And yeah. Okay, cool. I'm happy to hold yeah. you accountable yeah. with, so how are things there? Like shutdown wise, is, is it pretty clamped down where you're at or is it? At home, it's not. So yeah. at home, we're pretty like, um, and I say that, but yet I look at you and say, I really don't know because we don't have in public. So I do know that if I go to the grocery store, we live right on the Mississippi-Alabama border. So if anyone doesn't know, like we're literally on the coast. Um, so all the fun hurricanes is here. Um, but um, we're about 50 miles from Florida, from the Florida coastline. But then we're also about like 90 miles from New Orleans. So we have all those fun states right there. Yeah. Um, so I work, when I work in Alabama, if I go to the grocery store in Alabama, um, like it's probably 50, 50 if people wear masks. Okay. Um, here in Mississippi, I think that it's more, it's probably like 85% wear masks. Yeah. Um, but we honestly don't go out to dinner. Um, we don't like, I go to the grocery store and get groceries like once a week. Um, so like for us, like we go to church, we do have one church that I told us, oh, because they don't all wear masks. The other church that we go to does wear masks. So yeah. I always say, can we go to the safe church? <laughs> because, you know, like, yeah, I, it's not that I'm fearful. I just don't want to get somebody else. Sick. Yes. Um, and so that's more of my caution, you know, is I just, so we always make the jokes that we know because we've traveled so much, we know yeah. what states um, know COVID exists. And then we know what states don't really realize it exists yet. So, because some states are definitely more lenient than others. When I go yes. back to Madison, it's very strict. It's very strict. like, it's a hundred percent strict. Our kids are required to wear a mask the entire time they're at practice. Um, coaches, like I work in a mask. I've been, I said, I just actually talked to my mom and I've been in, like, she's like, what's the longest you've had to wear a mask straight? And I was like, I think it's been 14 hours. So, I mean, you know, and it's not, I mean, doctors do it for 24. It's yeah. not the end of the world. So no, um, I, we have to wear them at work. We've had to wear them since they were mandated. And, yeah. you know, I think the only thing I notice is like, if I go, when I go to work on Mondays, I like, I'm so hot. Like my yeah. face is so hot. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, yeah. you've been at home all weekend and you haven't worn a mask because you've stayed home. Oh, that's right. My face right. is sweating. So yeah, exactly. Um, right. Exactly. Uh, and then like you get a little pimple. <laughs> <laughs> so for my, my mask, like around it is pretty like form fitted, but 
against my face, it's kind of loose. So that saved me right there, but yeah, <laughs> I've just teached myself when you've gone yeah. to the races, how have they been in with their compliance with the local ordinances with COVID? And- I can say like, they have all done and I Savage by far has done an absolutely amazing job. Um, we ran Savage. I think the first Savage that was offered was Chicago. And so we did run Savage Chicago because I happened to be at work. So, but I drove there. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I can say we also did Savage Florida, just this recent one. Um, and they haven't lightened up at all. It's temperatures when you come in. It, you know, so it, and they monitor, you know, like you race, you have a three hour window. They don't babysit you, but they just expect everyone's going to follow the rules. Um, but that doesn't mean, like, I think frontline, we had temperature checks. Um, and, you know, so everywhere has been really, really good. There's been nowhere that I have felt like uh, I'm at, you know, like I hate to say the church that doesn't wear masks, but, you know, where I feel like I'm at risk. Um, and so I think that you can stay as socially distant or as close as you choose at most all races. And I don't think anyone's judging you for it. So which is really, really cool. That is really cool. Have there been any kind of like, I say festival areas, but you know, after the race, like everything's just pretty like go leave kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Savage doesn't even do an award ceremony this year. Um, Conquer the Gauntlet does one, but it tends to be whenever they feel like <laughs> welcome to our races. Um, but, um, and so it's been pretty quiet. Um, because there's nothing really in the festivals to draw people to stay. Yeah. Um, so you just kind of come, you do your race and, you know, you head home a little bit. So yeah. it's been, you know, it, it, I mean, you miss that component of it, but at the same time, you're just happy to be racing. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of how we were when we did our little mud run that we did. Like it was just so exciting to be able to race and get muddy and have fun. It was like, okay. Can we go get food now? Because that seems yeah. to be like the biggest thing. Yeah. We gotta go get our food. So yeah, I'm trying to think what races. Like we've done Savage, we've done Conquer the Gauntlet. Um, we did. I did um, Frontline. We did this really cool local one again. Just get these local races. Yeah, they did like a triathlon OCR style. So we did a Ooh. two mile run. Yeah, and then they had like a half mile like obstacle course, but it was just obstacle, obstacle, obstacle the whole way. And then we had to do like a three quarter mile kayak. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. It was actually like, I was like, that was one of the most fun races ever. So um, that was pretty cool. So that was a local one we did. And then, so we just done some fun stuff, you know, because that sounds like, why not? so fun. Like tossing the kayak. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. We only we, did one virtual. Well, we did one virtual 5k and learned really fast. That's not going to work because I'm a big stickler of following rules and when people submit times of 13 minute 5k i think you might be cheating <laughs> or you just went for a one mile walk and <laughs> just kind of that <laughs> then i don't think people are purposely doing it but i was like you're messing up my fat so um <laughs> so i was like okay we're done so we did frontline or not frontline we did um force five we did their virtual which they, it was a great virtual one, but yeah. um, we learned really fast that they're not virtual races. I haven't done any virtual races this year. <laughs> um, I've gone to uh, some of my co-hosts have done like the 
they've done some that I think I can't remember who did it, but they've done some and they've been like 50 miles or 30 miles. They've done the virtual Spartans and I'll go, I'll go walk a few miles with them, but I'm just like, nah, I don't, yeah. nah, meh. It's just not yeah. the same for me. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think Doug did a couple of the virtual Spartans and I was like, you have fun. <laughs> no, like, um, like I said, Forest Fives was great. Forest Fives was hard. But I think that if we weren't in the same household, like cheering each other on and pushing each other, it would have been a lot more challenging because it's like, oh, you want me to hang from this for how long? <laughs> <laughs> you want me to do what? Uh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, it was fun, but. Yeah, I think for me, like I saw them doing like the virtuals and like afterwards they had all the movements that they have to do. And I'm like, well, that's usually what I do when I fail an obstacle. We haven't done the obstacles. You seriously have to do a bunch of burpees right now? Like That's exactly what my problem always has been. I'm not doing burpees. I don't want to see if I don't have to do them, I'm not going to voluntarily do them. I'm it's sorry. Why I hang on to obstacles as strong as I can because the last thing I want to do is a burpee. So, <laughs> right there with you. Yeah. So. I, I have seen people though who have like, they have flourished with doing the virtuals, which is so great because it's kept them, it's keeping them motivated. And I guess whatever you have to do to keep you motivated right now, I, I will support 100%. That, I um, agree. I agree 100% on that. Um, where can people find you on um, social media wise and such? Well, mine is pretty easy. I'm pretty low key. So um, I, both my, I only use Instagram and Facebook because that's all I can deal with. Um, but it's both, it's my name. So it's Lisa.Nandor. Um, okay. You can look it up under Lisa Nandor and you pretty much are going to be able to find it. So it's both in my Instagram and my Facebook are so with everything going on you've got your mountain rock climbing you're still trying to figure out this next season and how that's going to look because you know it's up in the air right now um is there any words of wisdom that you have for people who are like just starting out or coming back from you know like what you did you came back from an injury do you have any like advice or words for wisdom for people who are just like coming back yeah I guess people coming back or starting out don't give in don't quit um, and know that you are stronger than you absolutely think you are. Like when all else fails, you believe in yourself because that's going to get you through everything. And OCR is a metaphor for life. When, when it gets tough, you keep going. You pick yourself up. It's okay to fall down, but you pick yourself up and you move forward and you learn from the fall down. Yes. So, so I mean, that would be my thing is I know that it, again, it's cliche, but you just don't give in. You don't give up on yourself. You don't. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast. If you haven't done it yet, find us on Facebook. Like and share the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. All these things will help to expand the show in the future. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear. Yeah.